one of the most difficult but important principles in the practice. It's something the Buddha called learning to see renunciation as freedom. For most of us, that seems to be a restriction. As when you're getting the mind to focus on the breath. Before you make up your mind to do that, the mind doesn't seem restrained, doesn't seem to have any violent wishes or disorderliness or unruliness. But then all of a sudden, as soon as you tell it, stay with, stay with the breath. It has all kinds of other places it wants to go. Complaining that it's being constricted, complaining that it's being tied down. You have to learn not to listen to those arguments. Because as the Buddha explains, when the mind really does settle down with one object, it's freed from a lot of things. He talks about progress through stages of concentration as stage-by-stage stage release, simply getting the mind to stay with the breath. You're released from unskillful mental states, released from sensual desires. And that is a state of freedom. But there's a part of the mind that doesn't see that that way. In fact, that part of the mind gets a lot of encouragement from the world outside. Partly it's because it's in other people's interest to have us chained to our sensual desires. Because once we're chained to our sensual desires, they have a hook to sell us things, make us buy. And our desires play along with that. We mistrust the impulse toward celibacy, the impulse toward renunciation. I was talking a while back to a Zen practitioner, admittedly someone who wasn't all that advanced, about issues of conflict resolution in the community. And I pointed out how having the Vinaya as our standard was very liberating. And to him, that was an unusual idea, that rules could be liberating. Part of their quest, he said, was to learn how to see beyond rules so that you weren't confined by them. So how could rules be liberating? Well, I pointed out, for one thing, we don't have to sit around discussing what the standards of behavior in the community are going to be, week after week after week. It's all settled. The standards are livable, they're humane. So having the standards established liberates us to have a lot more time to practice. I mean, that's just a very basic example. There are other ways as well. Popular culture likes to hear about monks and nuns who are having trouble with their, their vows, who either disrobe or show their desires in other ways, shows that they're being confined and restricted, that they really miss the things that they gave up. But when you really get a taste of what it's like to get the mind to settle down without having to 
hanker after other things. You find how liberating it is. When you see the rewards, then you are more and more willing to let go of the things that you may normally be attached to. in favor of the freedom of not being attached. This impulse to mistrust the principle of renunciation isn't just an American or a Western thing. It goes way back in Buddhist history. For example, the Mahayana idea that our hands are stuck in a limited nirvana. They feel that they have more freedom because they have one foot in both worlds, they say. Well, nirvana is the opposite of being stuck. For one thing, it's not a place. When there's no place, there's no, there's no being stuck in anywhere. Secondly, the person who attains nirvana is totally undefined and no restrictions whatsoever. From the outside, it looks uninviting, but from the actual experience of the practice of learning to let go, let go, let go, and be less and less defined by this, that, or the other attachment. There's a huge freedom that comes along with it. So as we have our efforts to stay with the breath, stay with one thing, remember, we're not being confined. We're learning to give up restrictions. learning to get out of the chains that we become so used to, so familiar with that we mistrust the idea that anybody could be happy outside of those chains. But this freedom is just what the Buddha is talking about. His teachings aim in that direction. He said all of his teachings have a single taste, just as the ocean has the taste of salt. Anywhere you go in the ocean, the water tastes salty. Everywhere you look in his teachings, there's the taste of release, the taste of freedom. Even when he teaches restraint of the senses, again, it's for the purpose of liberating the mind from all the unskillful states that would arise if we weren't careful. He says if you're not careful about what, how you look and how you listen, how you smell, how you taste, how you touch things, The mind is assailed. The mind is injured by sense objects. To many people, that, that amount of restraint sounds confining. But when you take the mind to a place where it's not injured in that way, you see the, the sense of freedom, the sense of relief that comes. So a lot of this is just the willingness to Take the Buddha at his word. In spite of all of our unwillingness or our fear of what it might be like to renounce things, to give things up, to show restraint, our preconception that it's very confining and, as they say, the, the saints are crying. Rather, we'd be with the sinners who are laughing. Well, the sinners don't laugh all that long. 
and the saints don't cry. They're totally free. So allow space in your imagination for that possibility, that renunciation really is freedom. When you do it wisely, when you do it with an understanding, open up your imagination. And the possibility that the Buddha was right. That all these practices and all these rules really do have the taste of freedom. 